Hey everyone, welcome back to the Westbridge Church Podcast. To learn more about Westbridge Church, including our service times, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com. This week's message comes from Pastor John McDougall, and we hope it encourages you to take your next step in your faith journey. Good morning, church family. So appreciate everyone helping with our uh, the day camp and how neat, uh, innovative idea to, uh, to hopefully reach kids, help kids grow in Christ, but it was going to be volunteer intensive and during the day, and we uh, asked for help and you provided, so thank you to everyone who's helping out with that. Well, hope you're doing well. This is a big day. Real quick side note in that this is Wes's birthday today. Big 31, our worship leader, and uh, I am, I, a week doesn't pass. I, I don't find myself thanking the Lord for Wes and Janae and, and their family and just the chance to follow Christ together. This past week, I had the opportunity, had a wonderful uh, meeting with uh, Bob and Kayleen Murphy and new folks who are new to our church family and just getting to know them. But then I asked them, what do you enjoy about Westbridge? And and I hear this again and again and again. It's often either kids' ministry or the worship time. And what our worship team does, and specifically Wes just leading us as he does. And so if you see him, I think he buzzed out of here. But uh, feel free to give him a hug. He's always singing to us. So if you feel inspired to sing him a song, go for it. Bev, I know you've got one, but uh, you probably already sang to him. But, uh, but thankful for Wes and in his ministry. Well, today we're picking up our reset message series. We're moving through the book of Acts. And if you're just joining us, this is the book that really helps us get a grasp on who we are as a church, as the body of Christ, and what, what our calling is. And our theme this year has been let's, let's be his church. Let's be his church inside, outside. Um, as we do life together, as we gather, as we scatter, let's be his church. And Acts has been fuel for that. And I, I don't know about you, but I, we, we took a three-week uh, break, and I missed it. I, I, I knew Acts was going to be instructive, and it, it's like a documentary, a, a history document helping us understand how the church was birthed. I did not realize in the series how encouraging and just inspiring it would be weekly, just to know God is at work in ordinary people like us through His Spirit to accomplish what His his will in this age, his redemptive plan and the plan of salvation in our age. And we just have to be faithful to keep it in step with him. And so today, excited about the text we're, we're in. If you're just joining us, a reminder that uh, Luke is the one who wrote this book. He wrote, has a previous book about the life of Christ led up to the resurrection, ascension. Acts is, is where he documents the birth of the church, its growth and expansion and today we're going to discover a, uh, we're going to watch a church get born. We're like in a birthing room of a, a new church. We're going to watch it grow and actually begin to multiply. And as we do, five practices will emerge that, that will help us in our own faith journey. Five practices to imitate and implement in our lives personally, but corporately as well. And so five practices that lead to a thriving relationship with the Lord, but, but a thriving life mission, really, and as a church family, a healthy church. And so the prayer today is that God will stoke in us a passion to be His church by implementing, maybe it's just one of these 
core practices, but, but, but it'll just speak to you and uh, propel us to, to put it into play in our lives. So the text is Acts 11, verses 19 to 30. If you would join me there and we'll, we'll dig in. Acts eleven nineteen. Luke writes, Now, those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among the Jews. Now, this is interesting. Just a bit of context. He's pointing back to Acts chapter 8. If you remember when Stephen, a follower of Christ, was killed, stoned for his faith, a persecution broke out, and it scattered believers. One of the, a, a person that was there was Saul, remember? And he, uh, he was giving approval to, the, to what was happening we're going to skip chapter 9, and I, I do this hesitantly because it's such a core part of the narrative, but in chapter 9, and you can read back through it this week, it's Saul's conversion, where remember the Lord meets him on the road to Damascus, and why, one reason it's so important for us to get, when the Lord met Saul, Saul was persecuting the church, do you remember what he told him? And I, I think what he told him shapes not only his theology, but his passion to serve the church and lay down his life for the church, for believers. Do you remember what it was? He said, Saul, why do you persecute me? When we see, stop seeing the church as a building or a thing we go to or a, uh, even a gathering of people and we start seeing the church as the body of Christ, it changes everything, doesn't it? We no longer show up thinking, what can I get? We show up thinking, how can I serve? And when a church is going through a hard time, we're thinking, this is the body of Christ. In this place, I want to help. I want to be an answer to the problem versus um, a pile on it. And it, it, it transforms how we do life and how we serve, keeps us in it for the long haul. It's also important to know that what we're about to witness is just, it's a massive moment in the history of Christianity and God's redemptive plan as the work of God goes from his chosen people, Israel, to what God had intended from eternity past, that through even Israel, all nations would be blessed. But the, the, work, the epicenter is going to go from Jerusalem to a Gentile city, Antioch, and the first Gentile church that we know of, Luke tells us, as, as this church is birthed in Antioch. So to give us a visual, can we go ahead and put the map up? This, this is a map of Paul's uh, missionary journeys, but down here you have Jerusalem, so when it says these people are being scattered, you can see Antioch. This is going to be where we're going to be hanging out today, but Cyprus is another key place. This is an island. It was a, um, the hometown of, of Barnabas. And so interesting, in Antioch, it was the third largest city at the time, second, third only to uh, Rome and Alexandria. And it was a strategic place for the church to be birthed and the gospel to go out in that it was the east where east meets west. And there were... It was half a million people, 500,000 people lived here, but it was very diverse. They had people coming up from um, Africa and Egypt. They had people from the Asia area. They had Greeks coming over and, and Jews, and it was a, a melting pot of cultures. So um, what we're about to read, it's a massive moment in God's redemptive plan, as we see in verse 20. It says, uh, and, and actually... Five practices, the first practice we see here, and it's the practice of witness. But here, here we go, verse 20. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak 
to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. I love that phrase. It's, it's literally proclaiming the Lord Jesus. Their, their message is Christ. And they're talking about him, sharing the good news that salvation is found in him. And verse 20, uh, or uh, 21, the Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. And so the first practice we see that this church encourages us is birth because of the faithful witness of, of these guys. Interesting, notice first, these are men who have been, and people who have been scattered, not by their own choice, but by persecution. And yet God in his providence uses what seems to be evil, and evil went in the day, and the scattering as a means to grow his church. What a comfort for us, guys, in those moments we feel like, man, I didn't see that coming. And your life takes a turn, and maybe even by, because of the sinful choices of somebody else. And you're, you're kind of winging it, and it feels discombobulating. Is my life mattering? And, and now what? I, this wasn't how I drew it up. This was not how they would draw up a plan to reach the world. And yet God is at work. His, on the winds of providence, his redemptive plan is playing out. Our job is simply to be faithful, right? To be a faithful witness. Right after first service, Becky Hawk, and, and I wish at some point would love for her to come share. She's a retired doctor who keeps her bags packed when Samaritan's purse calls, when there's a need in the world, she goes. And at the epicenter of uh, COVID, she was in New York City helping. When the war broke out in Ukraine, she, she went to Ukraine, to Poland, and she's just back home. Right after the start, I'm like, Becky, how are you doing, and how are the people doing? And she, she said, John, it's crazy. When the Soviet Union collapsed years ago, Christians flooded the Soviet Union and the Ukraine, and that ch the, the, the church at large in Ukraine flourished to the point where that church is sending missionaries. When this war broke out, five million Ukrainians were sent into Eastern Europe, Western Europe, countries that need Christ. And if only 10% of those are Christians, that's half a million missionaries God just sent out. She said that with hope, with joy, and with, like somebody who's seeing it. And these missionaries aren't going into a, like, hoping to meet somebody on the street corner handing out tracts. They are in homes. They're being welcomed into homes. God is at work, even in this war in Ukraine. We don't wring our hands, oh man, what's happening? We say, Lord, help me just be faithful. And when the winds of divine providence blow, and should I be caught up on one of those winds and scooped into an area I didn't realize I'd ever be, just help me talk about the Lord Jesus. That's how the church goes. It's interesting, we don't know the names of these people. God doesn't name them. Why wouldn't he give us the names of the very people who started this really major movement among Gentiles? We don't know their names. They're nameless. I think he's reminding us there's only one name that matters. Amen? That is the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. He must increase. We must decrease. The name that matters is the name above all names. Salvation is found in one name only, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Everyone who calls on his name, everyone in this room today who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved it's through faith in him 
we are saved. And then the divine human co-op, you see in verse 21, the Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. And what an encouragement just to know, as we are faithful to do what God's called us to do, His hand is what's doing the work. <laughs> it's not on us. He, he's at work doing it. And the challenge here, then, is to be a faithful witness for our Lord. When I read that phrase, a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord, it something inside me jumped and I don't know if it does that for you but just uh, oh to see that in our day in our community and in the world there's a part of our world where if you look on a map of unreached people groups people who don't have access to the gospel it's that 1040 window but uh, just praying would God do a work a great number of people turn to the Lord last week we were having our elder meeting and we were praying over the needs of our church family and Fred mentioned that he had just come from a a talent show at, at a South, watching his daughter perform there. And, but as that room was packed with families from our community, what hit him was many of these, I'm sure, don't have the hope of Christ. When their family's going through a hard time, they don't have the clear instruction of, of a Christ-centered home and, and the hope of that. And oh, that God would let, would let many turn to him in our own community on to the second practice, we have the, uh, the, the second practice. Okay, so witness, and then we see this church, incur we see encourage as a, uh, what happens here in verse 22. It says, news of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and so they sent Barnabas, who had been nicknamed son of encouragement, to Antioch, and when he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit, meaning surrender to the Spirit's lead in his life and faith. And a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Encouraged. Don't you love this moment where the church in Jerusalem finds out um, what's happening and they send their primary encourager, Barnabas, to go check it out. And when he arrives... He celebrates what had been happening. He had nothing to do with what had been happening, but he sees it and he's celebrating God's work of grace in the lives of, of these people. And then he goes to doing what he does and just seeing where they're at. And, and I'm sure, like us, they all had room to grow. I'm sure there were a, a major gap in, in terms of uh, becoming like Christ. But what does he do? He, he comes alongside, meets them where they're, they're at, and then encourages them. And I love the way he says it too remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. And he does this for all of them. Little, old, remain true to the Lord, steadfast to the Lord, devoted to the Lord with all their heart. Our mission as a church family, we verbalize it this way, helping one another become fully devoted followers of Christ for the glory of God. Basically, what, what Barnabas is doing for this church family. And don't you love this picture of, of Barnabas coming along um, encouraging them, and then notice what happens in the context of encouragement and fully devoted followers of Christ. The last part of verse 24 says, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. And so the challenge for us today is to be an encouraging presence to the people around us. I think even as we um, reflect on Barnabas's example, is there someone that God is bringing to your mind that could use some encouragement in their walk with Christ. Someone he's placed in your life that you could just come alongside and say, keep on keeping on. 
run on. It is worth it. Going through a tough time. I love the picture of our church family being a, like every time we get together, whether that's bumping into each other out in the community or in a small group or a discipleship group or a class or here at gathering on Sundays that you just feel the uplift, you know? Wind in the sails, that, that I have a teammate that's for me. We're a for-you culture, a culture of encouragement. The other day I was watching a YouTube clip on how to do something, and I got the knowledge I needed five minutes into the clip. It was eight minutes long, and I watched the rest of it. So I spent, I had my answer after five minutes. I spent the next three minutes of precious time listening to a guy talk about something I didn't need to know. And afterwards I was reflecting on that, and I thought, why did I do that? (laughs) And it occurred to me. That guy, as he was talking, was such a for-you kind of guy. He was for me. He wanted me to succeed in my project so much that I just enjoyed his company. <laughs> and I just wanted to hang out with him for three more minutes. I could care less what he said. I just, we grow best in a culture of encouragement, don't we? It's why God tells dads in Ephesians 6, don't exasperate your, your kids or discourage them and just hound them. Train them up, but but why? Because we grow best in a culture of encouragement. And so may God um, just nudge us or or help us to do the same. I saw this happening this week in real time as uh, we received word of a church in Lebanon that is struggling and going through a really hard time. And so Pastor Tyson and one of our leaders, Bo Humphrey, went up and spent an entire day just with their leadership team saying, how can we help you? How can we encourage you? And it was neat to hear that there's going to be opportunities. Bo stayed to help the pastor through some things, and, and then I found out that they're going to need a interim uh, people to fill that pulpit and said, hey, we will do whatever we can, and if there's more, we're here to help. And love that picture. Love me saying I just love his church in the heart of Christ. So the challenge today who can I encourage? There's a, a movie I love to watch when the Winter Olympics come along. It's called Eddie the Eagle. Has anyone seen that? It's a little quirky, but, uh, but I watch it. I watch it by myself. I don't put my, the family through the, the quirkiness. But I love it. It gets to me every time, and I end up uh, biting back the tears. As this, it opens up with this little guy. Um, he's holding his breath underwater with a stopwatch, and he wants to get to 60 seconds. And when he does, he's triumphantly gets out gets packs a bag and he goes marching out the front door his mom's like where are you going eddie to the olympics it's like eddie no he, he won't let this dream go well, he gets to middle school and it becomes clear god has, had not blessed him with athleticism and his dad tells him eddie you're not an athlete give it up but his mom is that wind in his sails you know got the dream go for it and, and uh so he fails 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 and Finally, he comes to that point of realizing, maybe I don't. Track and field's not for him. So he tries downhill skiing, and he does okay, but he's still mediocre. It takes some skill to, to ski, and so he never gets the look at the Olympics. And, and uh, finally, his dad, you know, his logic is, I joined my drywall business, he, and he does. But his joy is gone, you know, his hope and his dream dashed until one day he sees a picture of a ski jumper. And he's like, hey, it doesn't take much skill to go torpedoing down a hill launch into the air and let gravity do its work and fall. And he found out Great Britain didn't have a ski jumper. So this was his chance. Tells his mom, 
She's like, go for it, tells his dad. He's like, he's going to die. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Great Britain does everything they can to keep him from going. But he, and I won't ruin the story for you, but what, the moment for me is at the end of it when he's coming home and he walks into that airport. The airport doors open and um, there's fans and people are cheering and friends and family, but he locks eyes with his mom. You know, this one soul who was wind in his sails through it all. And right next to his mom, now is his dad wearing an Eddie the Eagle t-shirt. <laughs> Big hugs and I'm proud of you, son. It's one thing to, to make it to the Olympics. It's another to be faithful to the calling God has given us. To finish well. Faithful. And may we be an encouraging presence, helping those around us. To, uh, to run on, fully devoted to Christ. And then the third practice we see is teach slash learn. If you look at verse, so witness, people are coming to Christ, encourage, they're, they're being encouraged to run hard after Christ. But how? Where, where do we go? Which way? And we see in verse 25, it says, Then Barnabas went to Tarsus, Saul's hometown, to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year... Barnabas and Saul met with the church, and the word to circle is, and taught a great number of people, great numbers of people. And, and this is significant. I think this comes out of the teaching and the learning. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Teach, learn. So at some point, Barnabas is like, I need help. You can imagine how the conversation goes, and it's humbling because Barnabas could have been like, hey, I got this, but he's like, I need help. So he goes and finds a younger, gifted guy, Paul, and, or at the time Saul, and it's interesting, this is eight years after Saul's conversion. So often I read this like it all happened in, you know, a year or whatever. Saul has had quite a bit of time to, to season, and, and uh, Barnabas goes, he finds him, and I can imagine him saying, hey, we, we have some crazy ideas going on here. We, we've got the, you know, the Jews are wanting to keep circumcision. And we read the letters and you get an idea of the, the idea, all the, the different ideas. So, so what do we do? We need to teach them sound doctrine about who Christ is. Um, unpack the scriptures. All scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for teaching. But what we need to do is teach, teach, teach pass on this body of, of orthodox truth in a way that, that others can pass it on to reliable people who will pass it on, who will pass it on. The, uh, a couple years ago, I was on a, a vision retreat, get away for a week to just see God on where he's leading, and was reading through scripture, and I did not expect this to happen, but the word teach just started jumping off the page, and it blew me away how it is everywhere in scripture. It's in the Great Commission. Jesus says, go, make disciples of all nations, teaching them. And then all through the pastoral epistles, it's in the Old Testament as well. And what the Lord impressed upon my heart was, John, core to what we do as a church and core to a healthy soul personally, but a healthy church is a community who are teaching slash learning. And we know that we, we all want to be to the point where we can teach. And we all want to keep learning. 
There's never a day that we will stop learning because in Christ, Colossians 2, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. We will be learning more about Christ for eternity in a way that fuels our worship and fuels our love and fuels our service. And so every day we want to be waking up thinking, Lord, what do you have me today to learn? There's this and I, I don't know if you feel it, but in a, a culture where we have information overload, content dump, and you get to a point in life, you kind of feel like, I've forgotten more than I, you know, I just need to do what I already know, and we can grow, um, we can stop learning. And, and this is a call to us to, to okay, teach, but also learn. Um, stay hungry. Lord, help me to be hungry to learn, willing to teach. You say, why is this so important? As we understand what God's Word, the truth of God's Word, it grounds us in our faith, which is the most precious possession that we have. Our faith, as Peter says, is of of greater worth than gold. Our faith, the doorway into eternity, this life is temporary. Our faith, um, and and the things that, as we follow faithfully the teaching that that we have in Christ, it it leads to to the joys of, of this next life. Why is this so important? Our faith is, is the foundation of our life here and for eternity. And when you build a, a house on the beach, what are, you're, you're not building for the 70-degree day and sunshine, are you? But when you build that house on the beach and you're laying that, the stones and you're bu- digging the foundation, what are you thinking? You're thinking about the hurricane, the storm. And we know that in this life, storms will come that will shake our faith. And we know that should we be in the last days, Jesus says that in the last days, the love of most for him will grow cold. And it's our passion as a leadership team that every member of our church family and every member and attender, anybody who's a part of would call Westbridge home, has a faith that will stand through the storms of life. A faith that will stand, should this be the last days, so that our love will not grow cold on that last day. How does that happen? It's through putting ourselves under the teaching of God's word and a, a hunger to learn it. We have uh, teaching context in, this, in our church family, our 9.30 or uh, 9 o'clock class, 10.30 class. But from kids to adults, just praise God for the bullpen of teachers that he has raised up. And, and may he help us to stay hungry, to, to learn but also be willing to teach. I, you can imagine the buzz in Antioch as the community is thinking, what do we call these people? You know, what do we, we don't have a category for them. What, what do we call them? Well, we know this. They think, they believe, they, they're staking their life on the fact that, what, what they would consider the fact that Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah, or Christ. He's the, he's the anointed one. And they're following the way of the Christ, who, who they consider the Christ. They, they live it out. I mean, he, he's everything. He's their message. He's their, who's who they're talking about. He's their, so let's call them Christian. It's the first time. Scholars think that or feel that this was a, der- a derogatory nickname, but, but actually as a follower of Christ, what a huge compliment. And I think about our own lives. As we learn God's word, hunger for it, teach it, culture of, of teaching and learning, 
our goal is we would become so much about Christ and so like Christ that those on the outside world would look at us and be like, okay, there's one thing that would describe them. I, I would pick this word, Christ. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? And, and that's the passion. That's our hope. Uh, may Christ be so central to us. May we be so devoted to him that a watching world would conclude Christian. And then the, the fourth, so you have witness faithful witnesses, encouraging, an encouraging group. And then you have teach, learn. The fourth practice is give. We see this in verse 27. As their faith metabolizes into generosity, it says, during this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea this they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. What an inspiring picture of this young church finding out about a, a need in Jerusalem. A group of people, many of them probably had not met, but then giving generously, open-handed to meet the, the need of, of their brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. And notice they send their financial gift with their greatest asset, which is Paul and Saul and Barnabas. I, when, when God gives you the arguably one of the greatest theologians the church has ever had, you don't send him away, do you? <laughs> Unless you're living with open-handed generosity. And as I was reflecting on this, just wanted to say thank you to you as a church family for your generous heart. Um, giving uh, to support the ministries of our church that's taking the gospel into our community around the world. And then when there's a need that's above and beyond, you give above and beyond in ways that uh, it's overwhelming. Our Thanksgiving offering is one example. And just this past week, we uh, heard, heard news of one of the, and appreciate John and Ann Johansson who lead our compassion ministry, but several years ago we were like, hey, we see a mental wave tsunami coming our way. What if we gave $10,000 to the schools in our communi community to resource um, families that needed counseling that we might not, may not be aware of. And a, a family in Avon heard about that. They were inspired, so they threw in $10,000. $20,000 over the past two years has been invested into helping families who are struggling through a hard time, especially in the, the season that we've been in. Just found out this past week that investment has been fully made. And we were able to help 56 families find help and hope, and that is through your open-handed generosity. One example of many that just leaves me saying, thank you to you and thank you, Lord, for, your, for his church. The uh, fifth practice we see, so, so witness, encourage, teach, learn, give, and then go. Verse, if, if we fast forward to, uh, they take this, their, uh, Paul and Barnabas take the offering to Jerusalem, come back, we pick it up in verse 25 of chapter 12 it says when Barnabas and Saul finished their mission they returned from Jerusalem taking with them John also called Mark now in the church at Antioch there were prophets and teachers and this is a just they have a loaded team right here but they have Barnabas Simeon called Niger Lucius the Cyrene Manane who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting the Holy Spirit said 
set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and they sent them off. Go. I think this is a powerful picture of, of this young church not holding on to their resources, but when God through the Holy Spirit nudged them to send their two best resources, they laid their hands on them and they sent them. And we know Paul and Barnabas would take the gospel to places where it had not been. This young church was locked in on the mission that God has given us. The mission of being a witness, not just here, not just around us, but to the ends of the earth. The church exists, not for, just for itself. We do exist to build each other up, but for the purpose of the mission to which we've been called, as ambassadors of, of heaven, to share the message of Christ with those who haven't heard. I love this picture of, of going. All of us, you know, as we go out into our everyday lives, that, that idea of, Lord, okay, I'm ready to go to, to um, be a witness to wherever you take me to share Christ, but also to say, here's my life. And, and should you want me somewhere else, I'm here. I, each year at the Vision Summit, that's a prayer that I pray. And Tam and I pray that, Lord, here's our life, and we will go anywhere to anyone, anytime you say the word. And every year that he says, stay there at Danville, and serve as shout hallelujah. <laughs> Love it here, but you know what? We're open. Um, we're open, and so should we all be. And let the, uh, I think, you know, you don't send your prime asset off unless, unless, unless your prime asset to this church family was called by God to go advance the kingdom of God. Phillips Brooks, a, a great pastor and preacher, a past day, was asked, what's the first thing that you would do to help a dying church? And he said, the first thing I would do to help a church that's dying is have a missions conference. Remind them of their calling, their mission. It's not about us. It's about them. And then I would take up an offering and I'd send a missionary to go share Christ. The moment the church turns inward and becomes about itself, it begins to and begins to hoard resources, it begins to shrivel and die. But the moment a church lives with open-handed generosity, going, our, the one who leads the church, builds the church, sends more resources than, the, the problem is not that we have, do we have, not have enough, the problem is we have more than we know what to do with. <laughs> have you seen that? That's happening, guys, for us in real time. In big picture, our church planting team right now we are supporting 12 missionaries who are taking the gospel to um, aimed at unreached areas. We have resource now to hire another mission staff person. And if you know of someone, or would you join us? And we're praying and asking God, would you raise up the family, the person who will take the gospel into that 1040 window to Asia, to China, to India, to, to Russia, Ukraine, Turkey, one of the stand countries. Um, and we'll send them in prayer. We'll send them financially. Um, it's what we do. And so would you begin praying, and maybe even today as you're hearing this, you're being sensed or being nudged to be the one that goes. The Story family has been nudged to, uh, to go to Russia, to Ukraine, to that area, still praying. They're probably a year or two off from um, going, but exciting that God brought them to our church family that we can help send them. But it's what we do as followers of Christ. Witness, encourage, teach, learn. Give and go. Give and go.
So bringing it all together, the challenge of the day is, let's be his church. The church is the body of Christ. It's God at work. And in our day and age, the redemptive plan of God, the plan of salvation is playing out through ordinary people like us who come together as the body of Christ, encourage each other to witness, encourage, teach and learn, give and go. As you think back through this, the word of God to us today, may I encourage you to, to ask, okay, is there one word out of this, these five, as we've seen this church thriving and, and going and growing, one word that's for you, that, that when you heard that word, Maybe it was witness and just a longing to share Christ with someone or see people come to Christ. Maybe it was the encourage and that person came to mind and you know it's your calling this week to go encourage. Maybe it was the teach, learn and just to get hungry again and, and to teach or to be willing to teach. Maybe it was to give and it's your resources have become inward focused and like, Lord, help me open up my hands, seek your kingdom or maybe it's go to take action steps and in the mission that he's given you, whatever the word, would you be willing to just, okay, that's going to be my word this week. I'll pray it, seek it, and I'll act on that this week. Amy Carmichael said it well. We, we have all eternity to celebrate our victories, but only one short life to win them. Let's be his church. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word to us today. And just this picture of your grace at work in this church in Antioch, we thank you for just how it challenges us to, to open our lives up to your grace at work in us. And Lord, if there's someone here who, who hasn't received your saving grace, I pray today would be their day of salvation. Lord, I pray that we would be um, submissive to your sanctifying grace in our lives, that we would the word that you've spoken to us today, we'd let it change us and, and uh, transform us to be more like Christ. And then, Lord, we thank you for your empowering grace, your serving grace that's at our disposal as we leave this place. And uh, we just go confident and excited about what you're going to do. Lord, we pray for the needs in our church family today. I lift up Luann and Sam Denny and um, specifically Sam as he's recovering from this stroke. Would you encourage him and bring healing? Lord, I lift up Gavin and Pam Hadley as they recover, and Steve Kersey as well. For Bonnie Gibbs as she prepares for surgery this week, and for Deanne Carr as she recovers from her hip surgery, for Dick Burks as he continues to recover, and then for little Elijah Klinger, God, would you just bring healing and recovery to him as well. Lord, as we, uh, as we go, we, we just praise you for what you're doing among us, and uh, for... Claire today and just thank you so much for her life and just uh, what a gift she is to the Finley family, to us as her church family and I know to you but uh, just put your arms of protection and love around her until, until she uh, is safely home Lord I thank you for Taylor and Daniel who will be joining our church today and Taylor's life as she'll be following you in baptism and just pray blessing over her Daniel Lord, we do ask you to provide a missionary for us and someone who is just lit up to, to go take your word to a place where people 
are living and dying without access to it. And that as they come to us, Lord, that we would know and know how we can help and support. And then we just pray that that this person or couple would be empowered to plant a church that will multiply. God, we thank you for what you're doing in us. Thank you for what you're doing through us. Help us to live with an urgency that this could be our last day, that this could be our last year, and to be about your work. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you were encouraged by today's talk and believe it would be helpful for others, please be sure to subscribe or share. To experience other messages or find helpful resources, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com.